Hi, everybody. Welcome to mini episode number four of Attendance Bias. I am Brian Weinstein, your host. Mini episodes of Attendance Bias feature a breakdown of a single song or a single jam from a show that I've attended. I'll give a little background and context about what makes the song or the jam so special to me, and then we dive right into it. Mini episodes of Attendance Bias are posted on a bi-weekly basis in between full episodes of the show, when a guest and I will go over a full fish show. Today's mini episode features Twist from November 1st, 2013 at Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. This was the second show of the band's three-night Halloween run that year. Coming off the divisive wingsuit Halloween costume, I wasn't sure what I thought of the new album. I was a bit confused as I walked out of the venue that night, but this jam played the next night brought things back to normal, that is, Fish Insanity, and showed up with maybe my favorite jam that I've seen live. With apologies to New Year's Eve and one-off specialty shows in places like the Met in Philadelphia or other really small venues, Halloween is probably the hardest ticket in any given fish year. Not just because the band absolutely thrills us with great music at every Halloween set, but also because of the element of surprise. As soon as the doors open on October 31st, everyone wants to know what album cover is on the fish bill. The speculation is much wilder for Halloween than it is for the New Year's gag, and the buzz only increases when we find out. Everyone starts Googling about the band, the album, things like that, and opinions are flying back and forth before the band even plays a note. And this is a really weird thing, the whole Halloween musical costume when you break it down. The amount of unbreakable trust we have in Fish is not normal between most fan bases and bands. When you look at Fish, tickets aren't cheap these days, and tickets for Halloween cost a bit more because it's a three-set show. And for Halloween, people are willing to pay anything to be there. In 2013, I only came down from Long Island. The people next to me flew all the way in from Portland, Oregon. And we're willing to pay it happily, even though we have no idea about the main event. What if you don't like the band or the album that they choose to cover? Or in more recent years, what if you just don't like the gimmick or the music that they play with these new albums? We have ultimate trust in Fish, and in return, they have ultimate trust in us. But that was tested in 2013 when the band played Wingsuit, which was the Fuego album in progress. No one knew what to expect, and some fans, myself included, thought it was a practical joke on the band's part. With texting, Twitter, Facebook, and the maturation of all social media, putting out a fake fish bill and saying that they were going to play all new music with an unfamiliar album cover, I thought it was a way, a foolproof way, to keep the musical costume secret right up to the beginning of the second set, because anyone sending out information about an album called Wingsuit, if it were fake, they would be spreading misinformation and the set would remain a secret. And that's what I thought, but of course I was wrong. Any predictions I ever make about a Halloween show or a New Year's Eve gag is always wrong. That night, the band took what I think was the biggest risk of their career and played an 80-minute set, an hour and 20 minutes, of completely new material. We all know that new music, whether it's Fish or pretty much any other band, that's the bathroom break. And now they tested us with 80 minutes of that. Not only that, but it was the most high-profile night of the year. 
I won't go so far as to say that they betrayed the trust of the fans, but they certainly did test it. I walked out of Boardwalk Hall that night not quite sure how I felt. I liked some of the songs off Wingsuit, like the title track. I liked Fuego, and I loved the goofy fun of Wombat. But I was ambivalent toward a whole bunch of songs on that album, too. It's pretty telling that I don't remember the third set of that show, even though when I listen back, Ghost and Carini hold up incredibly well. It was very quiet during set break in between the second and third set. As the audience, we had just pretty much been shell-shocked. We were processing what we just saw and heard, and collectively, we didn't know what to make of it. But November 1st, the next night of the run, felt much more normal. You could almost feel a collective exhale from the previous night. Opinions were still divided, I think, about Wingsuit, but we were ready to get back to our comfort zone of regular fish, which on November 1st meant incredible jamming. The whole second set is a keeper. The band, I think it's pretty clear, they were blowing off steam from the incredible pressure that they put on themselves by playing all new music for the Halloween set. And the twist that they played in the second set really broke through. It's got everything, and it's since become one of my most listened to jams. The beginning of Twist, the composed section that is, goes pretty much as planned. And a little after two minutes in, Trey and Paige are immediately interacting. They're mimicking high trills. They go back and forth. These trills don't make it all the way through the jam, but it's very clear right from the get-go that the two of them and all four members really are paying attention to one another and they are completely locked in. Things just sort of float around for the first few minutes of the jam, with Trey playing a simple funky rhythm part, Fishman and Mike are sticking with the rhythm of Twist, and it does get a bit noodly around five minutes in, before Trey starts teasing Long Tall Glasses by Leo Sayer. I didn't know this song ahead of time. The only familiarity I had with it is from Fish Teases, and according to Fish.net, they've been teasing it since their gigs at the Paradise in Boston in 1989, so I knew I heard it before, but I didn't really know what it was. In this case, it showed that Fish was starting to step out after playing such a structured set the previous night. From there, things turn away from Twist as everyone starts developing their own path. Things get very mellow and you can almost hear them feeling for each other, musically speaking. And by eight minutes or so, Trey plays the lead melody of Get Back by the Beatles. And you could hear the reaction from the crowd. I mean, we went nuts. Everyone could hear that something big was developing, even though we weren't sure exactly what was on the horizon. But more than that, I also think that after being taken so far out of our comfort zone the previous night, what's more familiar and comforting than the Beatles, right? 
After some more trill-centered melodies, Mike turns on whatever that effect is that creates bass bombs that rattle your body inside and out, and he's leading it for quite a bit. Paige responds to Trey's trills again, but already, Trey's out. He's on to a new rhythm at 10 minutes that will form the most cathartic, uplifting progression of this jam. They were all so patient. Mike, Fishman, and Paige are still out there improvising, and Trey just does not let go of this simple, repetitive rhythm. And by the time everyone catches on to this rhythm, Trey already develops a B section to it. And before you know it, the whole band is switching back and forth, creating magic in real time. It slowly increases in volume and intensity, and it reaches such a peak, such a huge peak. This is where I was brought up into the clouds. Once they've hit that peak, things do settle down for a bit, and the crowd, I remember I could be there like it was yesterday. The entire crowd was euphoric. Out of nowhere, then, Trey and Paige start playing the main riff from Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie. You could always trust Fish to go from this huge dramatic peak to random 70s rock that, by the way, no one on stage knew the words to it, and Fishman gives kind of a sing-along, half-hearted attempt before they just bail all together.
after it's obvious that they back themselves into a corner, they just take the under pressure riff and go off with a really appreciative cheer from the crowd. After under pressure goes away, they just break off into more abstract, disconnected playing that slows down, and then eventually it dissipates out into a very superlative Gata Jabu, highly recommended. By that point, we were all blown away. I especially just had a gigantic smile on my face. If I turned around and drove home right after this version of Twist from Atlantic City, I would still be satisfied with seeing one and a half shows. I was so happy with it. And like I said, it's become one of my favorite jams. The Wingsuit set was a weird set. It was very tense. I've never felt that kind of tension inside a fish show before. And if you listen back, you can hear that much of the applause after each song was tentative and kind of hesitant. It was a big risk. And in retrospect, it was a huge success because without Wingsuit, I think it's fair to say that the band wouldn't have felt emboldened enough to play the chilling, thrilling sounds of the Haunted House set one year later or Casfot Voxed in 2018. But at the time, we really didn't know what to make of it. You know, it was like a Shakespeare play. The natural order of the world had been upset, and we needed something to bring it back into focus. And for me, it was the next night's twist that did that, and it put a whole new complexion on this three-night run. Next week on Attendance Bias, my guest is Tom Epps from San Diego, a personal friend of mine. Tom threw me a curveball, no pun intended, and chose to discuss a show he wasn't at. It was non-attendance bias, and it's what he calls what should have been his first show, July 9th, 1999, at Merriweather Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland. This was Fish's first headlining show at MPP, and throughout the conversation, Tom and I discussed whether 1999 Fish is underrated the band's new material at the time that formed most of the Farmhouse album, and whether What's the Use is a song with a message or just a trippy instrumental, and you'll hear all about it when you tune in. Thank you for joining me today for the fourth mini-episode of Attendance Bias, and I hope that you tune in for next week's show. I'm Brian Weinstein, and thank you again, as always, for listening to Attendance Bias. Attendance Bias.